Hey. Hey. Yeah, I was talking recently about cheat codes. I use that phrase, cheat codes, and I have more I want to say about that. And the example I gave before was in a video game. When you're playing a video game, there are cheat codes. Game Genie. You got one of them Game Genies, which is a cool phrase. I like that it was called Game Genie. (laughs) But you could plug in these codes into Game Genie, and you could, you know, basically bypass the normal function of the game. That's what a cheat code is. You make yourself invincible. And you think of that in terms of games like Mario, Contra, whatever it is. But I first really experienced the the downside of you the upside and the downside of using cheat codes through RPGs. Because when I first found RPGs, you know, the old Final Fantasies, all of those Super Nintendo Squaresoft RPGs that changed my mind, or rather changed my world, you know, changed the they they reconstituted my mind when I played those games because they were worlds. You weren't on a side-scroller, you know, it wasn't an action game. It required a lot of patience, but it was also very immersive and explorative. But I found that in my early experiences, I didn't understand turn-based strategy. I didn't know what I was doing. It was so different from anything else I'd experienced. You know, I'd played Legend of Zelda um, the, the Super Nintendo one as well, which is very aesthetically very similar to an RPG, but it's an action RPG. No, not even an action RPG. I think they just call that action, or I don't know what they call it. But uh, with with RPGs in particular, it looked like Zelda, relatively similar to Zelda, and it was this world that you can explore at your own pace. There was no timer ticking down. Very unique, and because it was so unique, you know, compare, compared to everything else I had played, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand the idea of grinding, nor did I want to do that. The idea of leveling up your character slowly by doing this very repetitive action, fighting the same bad guys over and over again, with no action involved. You make a decision for your characters, and then you think about the old, uh, the way that the old battles were presented, is your character would basically take two steps forward and just, like, put his sword in the air a couple times, and somehow that would do damage. There's no contact. So it's this very detached view of action. It's almost abstract. I mean, it is. I would say it's very abstract because there's no actual contact happening, and you're not actually controlling the characters themselves. You're just making these decisions for them. And those decisions are weird. Those decisions are very strange to a little kid, to a five-year-old magic, you know, casting spells, defending. It just doesn't make a lot of sense intuitively if all you've ever played is Mario. And so because I didn't understand grinding, you know, I didn't know how to progress the game because the bosses would kill me. I would run away from every battle and then the boss would kill me because my character wasn't leveled up. And so I I remember using Game Genie on those games, Final Fantasy 2, a.k.a. 4, Later, later known as four, I knew it as two, because that's what they gave to us Americans. Uh, but just trying to get through that, I had to use Game Genie. But Final Fantasy II in particular, you could have a Game Genie code that it made it so that you were invincible to enemies, but you couldn't actually beat them unless you turned the Game Genie off. And the Game Genie had this little switch, this little toggle button, and if you turned it off, the Game Genie codes wouldn't work. You didn't, have, you didn't have to stop the game. You could be playing the game, and sometimes it would freeze it, I believe, but very rarely. So you could toggle the switch up and down. So when you, and because I, I think it was this thing where you were invincible, but so was the enemy. So when your characters were attacking, you wanted to toggle the Game Genie off so that you actually did damage that counted. And uh, so because of that, though, it made the game very difficult to progress in, but it did allow me to play without grinding. It did allow me to explore the world a little bit, and I didn't beat the whole damn game by doing that. That would have been a tedious process. But it did, it did allow me to kind of start to understand the game and see what the payoff was. As I've said before, you know, you need a payoff, you need a breakthrough. As much as I do like the idea of just having your head down and doing the work for the work's sake, 
and not because of what the result will be, not because of how it will benefit you, not even because it will entertain you or any anything. You know, as much as I do like doing the work for the work's sake and finding benefit in that, finding value in that, I guess I should say, you do need breakthroughs. You know, if you meditate all the time and you don't feel like anything is happening, if it's just a struggle all the time and you never experience some sort of breakthrough where you go, oh, this is what they're talking about, this is it, or this is something that they never talked about and I can't believe that I'm feeling this, or I have this sensation, or that this is what's going on inside of me, you know, you need those sorts of breakthroughs. You need, if you're going to lift weights every day, you need those moments where you look in the mirror or you see a picture of yourself and are just, vanity aside, where you just go, oh, wow, that work I've been doing has done something, and guitar, it could be any craft, it could be anything you do in life, you need to have those moments where there's a breakthrough. And RPGs are designed around that. The traditional Japanese role-playing game is designed around that, where you grind. And it's not very fun, even for someone who loves it, even for someone who, who loves everything that those games are, even the tedious parts. It's still not very fun to fight random battles over and over again, and those games, that style of game has moved away from that for obvious reasons. But still, there, it's built into RPGs that you, the traditional RPG, that you grind and you grind and you grind, and it's not very fun, but that's what allows you to beat the difficult boss and go on and explore the next town and progress the story. So RPGs themselves are based around breakthroughs, but you have to grind to get those breakthroughs, or you have to be very nimble and strategic. Uh, where, you know, when you're fighting, if you're, if you're not up to the level, you have to learn the enemy's weakness. There are ways around grinding your characters up, but still, for the most part, you do have to grind for a while. You do have to experience some level of tedium in order to get to the next town, to go to that castle, to meet that character, to acquire that treasure. And I find that anything that's worth doing has that built in, where you do have to experience some level of tedium before the breakthrough. And you can't... You, and, but you have to enjoy the tedium, or you have to at least accept the tedium, embrace it. Let's not say enjoy. Let's just say you have to embrace the tedium for its own sake. And then if a breakthrough does come, it's even better. Because you're not just... It's not the carrot on the stick... It's not something that's hanging, hanging over your head. It's not a treat. You don't think of it as a treat. But when it happens, it's an incredible feeling, this breakthrough. And so I learned with cheat codes that it was like, it just wasn't a way to play the game, first of all. It wasn't what the game was. The game wasn't designed. The cheat codes weren't built into the game. You're using this external thing called Game Genie. And so it's not the way the game is intended to be played. And there are other ways that we use cheat codes as well. There are many ways. Steroids. Steroids are a cheat code. And I don't have any moral problem with steroids. A part of me is curious. A part of me, if I had access to steroids, a part of me would want to know what that's like, just to see it, just to, just to understand how quickly they can help you build strength and muscle. I'm curious, just as an experiment, but I would never actually want to take steroids. I have a quick anecdote about that. I, I don't know that I'm going to have another opportunity to talk about this, and I do want to get back to cheat codes, although this is related to. It is. There was a kid that I met in junior high, and we went to high school together. He was a year younger than I was. He had an older sister, older than I was, who hung out with my friends. And this kid, he was very short and scrawny. And he was on my football team one year. And coaches, I, I love football coaches. Some of them are a little cruel. But they will, they rib you in just the right way. They'll come up with the best nickname that's, you know, it's, it's going to be a punch to the ribs, but it's out of love. I mean, coaches love their players. They really do. And most of them. I mean, every once in a while, just like anything, you're going to have freaks who have serious issues 
But the coaches on this team, because this kid was so small and scrawny, they started calling him weight room. I mean, they called me lungfish. I was a lot heavier then. I was an offensive lineman. And because when we did our running drills, we'd, at the end of practice, we would do these sprints. I was always very, I was breathing very heavily. So they called me lungfish. So I wasn't exempt from this. But they called this kid, this little scrawny kid, weight room, which was just hilarious, you know? <laughs> uh, creative, weight room. It's like when a fat guy gets called tiny or skinny. You know, it's, it's irony, something like that. But they called this guy weight room, and he would laugh it off. You have to. I mean, if you're sensitive on a football team, I mean, that's kind of why it's done. That's kind of why coaches will insult you a little bit. Because there's a brotherhood, and with a coach, there's a, you know, that, there's a paternal aspect to it as well. So, you know, it, it's part of the process that coaches will give you a hard time. And if you can't handle that, being on a football field where you could get hurt at any moment, where it's just pure aggression, it's not for you. But they called this kid weight room, and it probably he probably didn't like it, but he did a good job at laughing it off. But in the years to come, I you know, I lost touch with this kid. He sold us weed a couple times when we were later in high school. It was just kind of weird. But uh, I lost touch with him. He wasn't a friend of mine. But uh, a friend of mine was friends with him later. And I found out through him that this kid got into steroids. And he got into bodybuilding. And he became, as my friend put it, he became an action movie villain. He had a, a weird little goatee. He was completely ripped. He had a bunch of guns. And I'm talking about AR-15s. He had guns... He started dealing cocaine and steroids, and he was busted for this. He was busted for selling cocaine and steroids, and I saw a photo of him on a motorcycle just ripped, holding, I was going to call it an M16, but it seems like AR-15s are the, are the modern M16. I don't know if that's the same thing. I'm not, I don't know a lot about guns, but this kid was posing in this photo, and, and my friend's quote, you know, action movie villain. He really became that. Not that he's a bad guy or anything, but he ended up getting sentenced to prison, and he might be out now, but it was a fairly lengthy sentence because he was, he was up to a lot of no good. A lot of no good. And I'm hesitant to call it no good. <laughs> Not that I think people should be selling cocaine and steroids and in this, especially if he's on steroids, having all these guns and all this, just so much fucking masculine energy. But you think about that cheat code and another guy who was friends with him actually became, who was a childhood friend of mine. I know this is getting kind of convoluted, but this other kid, he was my next door neighbor growing up, really good family just great people, simple, and I mean that in the best way possible. They just knew exactly what they wanted to get out of life. They wanted to have a, a nice, comfortable home. They wanted to do construction work and just live an honest and good life. And their son, who I knew my whole life, he became a fitness instructor, and he's, he's just a monstrously muscular person. And he did it all... He didn't use the cheat code, and his family didn't either. You know, I think about they. I think they ended up becoming fairly wealthy, relatively wealthy, and they did it just through honest hard work. And this kid, he became ripped. He became this monstrous fitness instructor just through honest hard work. And uh, he was friends with this kid, though. You can see where it's like two sides of the same coin, where there's this this strange kind of not good and evil, but there is kind of a black and white to this, where these kids were friends. And one of them became just this pure, healthy, strong, good-natured guy. And the other one became a—he he used the cheat code. He started taking steroids, and he got caught up in the darkness, and he ended up going to jail for a significant amount of time. I think he's out now. I think this was, this was about a decade ago. Uh, but you can really see where one of them used the cheat code and the other didn't. And the long-term— the, the long game of that, you can see what happens. You can see where, what happens. And, you know, it's not even about the right and wrong of sending someone to jail and, and how that's, you know, you could always say like, oh, one guy didn't go to jail and the other did. That says it all. But even if he didn't go to jail, you can still see where using the cheat code wasn't the right path. Because the cheat code involved all sorts of other dark 
indulgences, you know? It, it involved all kinds of other dark shit. Why do I try to come up with fancy ways of saying things when I can just <laughs> say dark shit? Dark shit! But this guy, you know, you, he used the cheat code, and that wasn't the way to play the game. And you can see when other people use cheat codes, it's the same thing. Yeah, some people win. Sometimes cheaters win, relatively speaking. You know, they get the thing they wanted. But when I was playing these RPGs, you know, I realized that, oh, you know, to actually play this game, the cheat code is not the way to do it. First of all, you have to be constantly thinking about, you know, have to flip this switch on and off. It's just, it's you end up creating a much more complicated... Because you're, you are impatient, you don't want to do this thing, you don't want to grind, you end up really overcomplicating the whole process. And you don't know how to actually play the game. That's another part. Is you don't actually learn how the game is meant to be played. You don't experience the real value. And you, you can't pat yourself on the back. You can, but it doesn't mean anything. You might as well be patting a wall. You might as well be uh, sticking your hand in the toilet. Might as well be sticking your hand in a trash can. You know, you might as well be doing that because you didn't really do it. You didn't really play the game the way it was meant to be played. And I used the example in a recent episode of psychedelics because that's sort of how I feel about psychedelics as well. There's a lot of people who they take psychedelics to basically plan a they basically plan a spiritual experience they i'm trying to think of the right word they they take this thing because that will initiate a psychedelic experience and of course people have been doing that forever people have their theories about oh because this, this gets into that thing too that i don't know that i agree with even though people i respect say this i just haven't seen anything conclusively and we just don't have the we don't have the data, we don't have the information. But people who say that you know the Bible was written by originally written by people who were tripping, the Bhagavad Gita was written by somebody who was taking a, a certain breed of mushrooms. Do mushrooms come in breeds? A certain species, I guess you could say. Is there any diff- a breed versus a species? It's totally worth splitting hairs over that, but. You know, people think the Bhagavad Gita was written by someone on mushrooms. I've heard that theory. By people I respect. Same thing with the Bible. Any spiritual subject matter, there's this tendency for certain people to say they were tripping. That explains it. But have those people experienced spiritual sensations at the very least? I'm not, I'm not saying they saw the northern lights in their bedroom. I'm not saying that they received an uninterrupted message from God hanging out at their house, you know, but I just wonder if people who believe that, if people who believe that all of these things were brought on by a psychedelic experience, I I, I just wonder what they've experienced without drugs, without psychedelics. And, uh, you know, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with people coming into contact with some sort of unknown and expanding their minds, expanding their very being through drugs. I don't have a problem with that, and I, I, I think it's better that someone does that than completely rejects the idea of the unknown, which a lot of people do. And interestingly, there are a lot of people who take drugs, there are a lot of people who trip on psychedelics who still reject the unknown, or still put it into a very narrow, I don't even want to say a box, they, they put it into this very narrow hallway, and it becomes this material experience. And that's one of the reasons why I, I'm reluctant to encourage psychedelics, even though I think they can open people's minds to some of these other forces that are going on, because it becomes about the drug. It becomes about the substance. And you can see that very well with people like Terence McKenna and Timothy Leary, who have very interesting things to say about human consciousness. Robert Anton Wilson, but especially the two former names, Timothy Leary and Terence McKenna can't really stop talking about the substances themselves. And I I went through a kick a few years ago because I completely bypassed those guys. 
when I was the age that people get into those people, when I was a you know an older teenager, early twenties, when I was in that period when a lot of people like have an Alex Gray poster on the wall of their dorm and they're like listening to Terrence McKenna lectures or Timothy Leary albums, you know. I kind of, I just bypassed that. I didn't think it was for me. Even though I was experimenting with my own consciousness, I just didn't want to go, that that route seemed too obvious to me at the time. It might be just my own oppositional defiance, but I completely bypassed that stuff. And then in my early 30s, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to see what these guys are all about. And Terrence McKenna said things in lectures that have stayed with me. But every time I would, every time I would try to listen to something by one of those guys, I would always hope beforehand, I was like, I I hope that this doesn't turn into some rambling monologue about psychedelics and psychedelic advocacy. And of course, that was those those guys' niche. It's like asking a dog not to bark. You know, it's sort of my fault for hoping for that. It's sort of my problem because it's like the, it's like it's like saying a dog shouldn't bark when it's a fucking dog. You know, cuz that's but that, but I sort of had the same feeling when I would listen to Timothy Leary or especially Terence McKenna who I was more interested in. I was more interested in what McKenna had to say for whatever reason. But I, I had this kind of feeling where I was like, "Oh, he's barking again. He's barking." But that's his thing. His whole focus was psychedelics and but but that kind of it took something away from it for me. And there's other people I like too. There's people who are alive today. They're interesting thinkers who I listen to and I like, but they can't seem to separate those sorts of experiences and sensations. They they don't really think about the unknown separately from these experiences that you can just it's like pushing a button. It's like using a game genie. It's a cheat code to me. And if that's what gets you into it, that's cool. And that stuff isn't what got me into... Like, even though with, with RPGs growing up, I kind of had to have that Game Genie cheat code experience to actually understand what the game was to begin with because it was so... Uh, I was going to use the word obtuse. It was just so foreign to me. The idea of an, a game that is that is design that functions like an RPG was so foreign to me that I almost had to use a game genie to even get a feel for the game. And I think that's how a lot of people experience spiritual sensations or epiphanies, realizations about the nature of existence, of the world, of the the mind, who we are and who we aren't, and where those two ideas meet. A lot of people need some kind of cheat code to get there. And that's that's totally fine. And there, there's obviously a whole shamanistic side to this where these initiations that culture, certain cultures have um, participated in for forever, you know, and where they've been very deliberate about it. But I think that deliberation is... And and they emphasize that. They emphasize using these very deliberately in a certain setting. But I don't necessarily think that's true either. I think sometimes, you know, if you want to use a cheat code, you just use it when it finds you. You know, it's not something like, well, I'm going to sit here and the setting is going to be perfect. Because sometimes it's the unpredictability Sometimes it's the it's the chaos that you, you you subject yourself to chaos deliberately to kind of see what you find to see what you can find. You know, sometimes you go right into the middle of it. Sometimes you go right into the whirlwind to see what you can find. So I think sometimes there's some value to you know, just seeing what happens and not necessarily having the right setting or trying to cultivate a certain experience, or following some sort of ritual. Because as ritualistic as I have been in my life, I've grown to really reject what I would call ritualism. Ritualism? Because I can be very superstitious and ritualistic. It's a natural part of me. It's like this neighbor I had. For seven years, I lived next to these college kids, and... 
one of the guys, every once in a while, one of the kids, like the first phase of kids who lived there, I would party with them a little bit. Not a lot, but every now and again, I was close enough in age. I was like 25 and they were like 19 or 20. So I'd party with them a little bit because the age difference wasn't crazy. But as different phases of college kids lived in this house, I got to be 30. I got to be 31. And they stayed, the kids who were living there stayed like 19, 20, 21. So just the age difference got to be a little too much and it became more and more weird. But there would still be like one or two young men in these houses who would just want to talk to me and hang out with me sometimes. And it was cool. I didn't really have anything in common with them, but there was one of them who he would always talk to me. He would always say something to me, say hello. But one time he came over as I was leaving and he goes, you know, like, cause his window overlooked the door that I came in. His window overlooked my driveway and the door that I used to come and go from my house. And he came up to me and he said, Hey Eric, like I've noticed something about you. He's like, I don't want to say that you're OCD. He's like, I think you're, you seem superstitious. And he was not saying this in an accusational way. Like, my neighbor didn't come over and go, you're not OCD, but you sure are superstitious. You know, he didn't come over and throw something like that at me. It was just, I think it was just curiosity. I think they they were very curious about me. And I, I don't feel like this is me being narcissistic. I just, they were curious about my strange lifestyle. And he, he, I think he said that because probably every time he heard my door open, he looked out his window and he would see me like, one thing I will do is like, after I lock any door, I check it. If I lock my door, I then check the handle to make sure it's actually locked. I don't feel like that's too superstitious. To me, that's just being vigilant. I want to make sure it actually locked. I've checked the door before, and it turns out I didn't turn it all the way. Just different, just things you do like that. And I think I think there's just a rhythm. You develop a rhythm. You know, the way that you pull into your driveway and get out of your car, the way you slam your door, the way you carry your things, you develop, you develop a rhythm around those sorts of things. And I guess that could become, that's a ritual. In the same way that brushing your teeth is a ritual. In the same way that everything you do becomes somewhat ritualized, and you think that's the way to do it. Because that's kind of what a ritual is. Even a, a very esoteric, strange, spiritual ritual is still operating under this belief that this is how you do this to get a certain result. So, of course, even the mundane, especially the mundane aspects of your life, would involve that. But it was, I took it as a compliment. I took it as a compliment. He said, you know, you don't, I don't think you're OCD, but you seem superstitious. And I just, I was like, you know what? You're right. You're right. You know, yeah, yeah. But there, how do you, what do you say after that? Where does that conversation go? Uh, but it was an interesting observation from someone who didn't really know me, but I guess would spy out his window at me coming and going. And I realized that about myself, that I, I am not superstitious in the sense that I take on traditional superstitions, although sometimes, you know, if, if I see something like, you know, I, I'd rather not walk under a ladder because that just seems like a dumb thing to do anyway. I don't need to walk under that ladder, so why should I? If I see a black cat cross the street, you know, it's not anything against the black cat, but I might give it a little consideration. So maybe I do have some traditional superstitions. Um, but, I, you know, you do develop your own. And, there, you know, when my mom was alive and when Rosie was alive the last few years, I found myself, especially when I got sober, I found myself more and more doing things ritualistically, doing mundane things very ritualistically. And there was a degree of superstition where in the back of my mind there was this thought, if I don't do that this way, my mom will die. Or if I don't do this this way, Rosie will die. And of course, they're, eventually I'm going to lose them. But it was just this idea that if I don't do this the right way, something bad will happen to somebody I love. And that's where a lot of, that's where, you know, you can see where obsessive compulsive disorder, which I don't have, nothing close to that. But you can see where that's a superstitious, it's basically taking the natural superstition a person can have and taking it to the furthest extreme. 
That's how I see OCD. And if you were to talk to somebody who's actually OCD, you know, and, and this might not be true for everybody, but in my experience looking into obsessive compulsive disorder, there is that sort of fear behind a lot of it, where if I don't get this right, like I saw a documentary about OCD where the guy, when he was leaving for work every morning, he had to kiss his wife in the perfect way. And so it ended up being this ritual where he would kiss her on the front porch and then he would take a couple steps and then just kind of, you could see on his face and from his body language that it just didn't feel right. So he would turn around and do it again. And he would do that repeatedly until it just felt right or maybe he had done it enough to where it just, you got to just go to work. And so I think in that though, and from from my understanding, is that there is this fear in that. There is this fear that if I don't do this right, it's going to somehow, something is going to become misaligned. So something bad is going to happen. And I had that feeling too. And I still get it sometimes. When my mom did pass away, it was, and when, you know, Rosie had passed away earlier that year. So after that, I did find myself, I felt like it was this realization that everything is the ritual. It's like, it's so silly to ritualize these little mundane things. Oh, I got to make sure that's lined up with this. I've got to make sure that I check that. I've got to do this in this order. You know, these little things that we do, and the way I just described it makes it sound more more like traditional OCD than it is for me, but there's just little ways of doing things, and you get you kind of ritualize it. And when I lost those things that I would superstitiously... Those things that I was superstitiously in fear of losing, these people I cared about, when I actually did lose those people, it was like this great burden was lifted where my decisions no longer revolved around that, and it almost felt like just being alive itself was the ritual. And that is what I believe. In the same way that you can put on robes and light candles and stand around in a circle and get stereotypically ritualistic about something, you know, you can also do that on a mundane level, just the way you brush your teeth, the steps you take when you get out of the shower. And if you change the order of those steps, if you change the order of the steps that you do things, something doesn't feel right. But you can do that with anything, big and small in your life, but recognizing that your life itself is the, the only ritual that matters. But I did find as time passed, you know, even though I had this great liberation from superstition and ritual, you do find it creeping back in. And I found that more recently. And it did kind of coincide with sobriety, too, you know, quitting alcohol and that sort of thing. Is I, I, I did notice that I started to become more... I felt like my intuition got stronger. I felt like I cleared a path for my intuition, for one. But in doing that, it made that need for superstition, or it, it just made that, it made me much more sensitive to these superstitions. And uh, this doesn't really have much to do with cheat codes right now, but we're going to spiral back there, and it will be a spiral, as always. We're not going to circle back, we always spiral back. Um, but, uh, yeah, with, with superstition and ritual, they're just recognizing that, oh, the ritual is the whole thing. The ritual is the whole game. And that observation, just, you know, recognizing, that, oh, yeah, superstition. It's not just the, the old wives' tales. It's not just the black cat, the ladder, the salt or pepper, whatever it is, over your shoulder. Got to throw salt over your right shoulder and pepper over your left shoulder. Whatever it is, I don't think that's it. Um, but it's not just that, but it's like you develop your own superstitions, these things that you think this result could happen if you don't do this a certain way. But to get back to cheat codes, to get back to that, you know, there's this idea with these psychedelic guys, with these consciousness guys, where I think, I think those guys had to get hung up on psychedelics and drugs at that time. A lot of those guys grew up in, I guess, I think they were born in around the 1930s. I'm not sure exactly. But they were people who experienced the ultra-mundane 1950s. 
and and they they were a little bit older than the average hippie too so they they were already a little bit ahead of the game and they'd experienced enough of life to know that there was something else and i think psychedelics did bring them out of something i think psychedelics did bring a whole generation out of something but you can see where that wasn't even permanent because how many total squares do you know who have taken lsd or mushrooms and even if it did ultimately benefit them they ended up getting stuck back somewhere and with those guys with the people who are these psych- these proponents of psychedelia there's this tendency to like they need that they need the psychedelic and they're continually coming back to that experience of like taking a dose of something and then seeing and cuz they also need to see things a certain way or they need it's like they need to it's a form of entertainment i guess and even though it's it's much deeper than just entertainment but they need some sort of sensory interplay they need some sort of sensory interaction where things are looking different and of course someone would say they don't uh, and they need their brain to suddenly start operating differently when the reality is, is that you can experience those sorts of sens- sensations you can have those sorts of feelings and you can your consciousness you, you can come into contact with the unknown without those things but there's no cheat code it requires a practice it requires discipline and it's why even the most esoteric religions typically won't tell you, oh, just take LSD every day. Just take mushrooms every day and you'll, you'll eventually find God and, and start to understand the harmony of the universe. You know, it's, it's why they don't do that because that would be too easy. That would be a cheat code. And people do do that. People do. And that's sort of where I get repelled by the McKennas and, and the Learys and the people who were inspired by them. It's why I, I kind of just have to keep those people at arm's length, because even though they're talking about very interesting things that are near and dear to me and my own experiences, I feel like there is this overemphasis on, on cheat codes. I'm going to get there tonight. I'm going to do it tonight. I'm going to reach that place tonight. Whereas, you know, most religious practices involve a long they, they they involve playing the game but there's a lot of grinding there's a lot of doing things that don't have an immediate payoff there's a lot of things that don't produce an immediate sensation but you have to do them over time and you have to orient your life toward these things in order to experience those larger breakthroughs and you might not even realize those breakthroughs have happened they might be very subtle you might have these moments, say you've been doing something for a few years, say you've been changing the way you view a situation, and then suddenly you realize, I'm not reacting in that way that I used to react. And not only am I not reacting in that way I used to react, I'm reacting in this different way that makes me feel more connected, that makes me feel better, and not better as in happy, not better as in some sort of just some sort of, you know, oh, I feel good, I'm entertained. Just sort of a general sense, you know, it's it's this just general, your place in the world, your place in this, this whole thing, just appreciating the very nature of life and all of its experiences up and down. And I don't know that a cheat code will get you there. People will take drugs and they'll come out of that changed. I'm not taking that away. I mean, at no point do I want to say that these things aren't massively influential on the human spirit. Or even just the mind, if you even just want to focus on it psychologically. And it's why I, have, I think they should legalize these things. And I think that they should give them to people in a controlled setting. But a part of me is a little bit resistant to this idea of, oh, using these drugs, using ecstasy to treat depression. Using mushrooms to treat some psychological malaise. While I, I do think that there should people should be able to do that, and there should be people who can guide someone through that, I also don't know that that's necessarily... I don't know that that's that I don't know. I just if someone's really stuck in a hole, I think that could potentially help them and it does help people. 
And there are a lot of stories about people who feel that that has helped them long term, too. I just don't I don't think of that as the actual game itself, though. And for me, realizing that was itself a breakthrough, realizing that, oh, there's no cheat code that's going to get me where I want to go. You know, for me to explore the, the world that I want to explore and to get to these next levels, there's no immediacy to it. You have to enjoy the process and you have to enjoy the practice. And some might say that the, doing that is itself no different. Someone could say that that's as much of a, what does it matter if it's a substance that you put in your mouth versus, you know, you're sitting there meditating. That's still a thing. You're still doing something. You know, it's, it's, you're still, there's still a material, it's still oriented around this material experience. Well, of course, it's all we got. Not all we got, but it's, it's what we have to work with. It's the tool we have to work with, which is how I see both my body, my mind, and the world around me is, while this may not be the essence of everything, this may not be the great, beautiful nothingness, it's what I have to work with. And another form of cheat code is tattoos. Tattoos are a way to feel cool right away or feel badass. And it's, it's funny to me, the irony, as tattoos have become more popular, it used to be a thing where what, what do you think of when you think of tattoos? Badasses, bikers, pirates, dangerous people, criminals. Think about gangs. You know, of course... There's the whole tribal angle. There's, you know, a lot of different approaches to tattoos, but tribal identity. But in, in the modern sense, you know, we used to think of tattoos. You couldn't get a job. Hey, you got an eagle on your arm? You got a tattoo of an eagle on your arm? Well, good luck getting a job. You know, it's like this idea, good luck getting a job. And now there's commercials for, like, you know, professional there's commercials where it's like, go to school and become a professional. Become a professional IT guy. Become a professional techie. And go to our DeVry, DeVry Institute. And the advertisements are like a guy with his sleeves rolled up with sleeves, with tattoo sleeves. His forearms are all tattooed. Nowadays, it's like you watch a, a commercial for something. It's like, look at our... We have the best customer service. And it's like a, a girl with pink hair and like a tattoo on her chin you know <laughs> you know it's not everywhere but it is very common for even even in professional settings to see that now and you also think about you know I don't like using the word hipster but it's obviously there's an association there it's one of those words like selfie where it's just like sometimes you just got to use it because it's become the word for a certain type of person but, like, you'll see these guys with sleeves, and that's something that at a certain point in time you would have thought, oh, guy, that's, that's not a guy I want to mess with. He's probably a drug dealer. He's probably a criminal. He's a biker. Maybe he was in the military. The military? We associate it with warriors, basically, of some kind. Good and bad, we associate it with warriors. And then as tattoos became more popular, you see a guy with full sleeves, and you're like, what a wimp. You hear his voice and he does like up speak, which I shouldn't do. I know I've done that a couple times on this show. And it's just even to like mock people, which I try to avoid doing. But even just to mock people, I don't even like doing it. But they do kind of up speak. Some guy with like vocal fry and up speak, but his arms are covered in tattoos. It's just funny how that's come to be where it's like tattoos. When I see someone with tattoos, I, now I think, oh, he's artistic and sensitive. Not, oh, he's a, a violent, drug-dealing biker. But tattoos are very much a cheat code. And, and, like, let me just clarify, too. Let me give a little disclaimer that I think tattoos look really cool. And, of course, there are plenty of guys, too, or people, men and women, children, who have tattoos, and they are badass. Of course, there are still people with tattoos who are badass. It's not like, it's not like that changed, fundamentally. This was a rare instance where I got... I actually stopped the recorder. I got a call from family. Nothing will make you realize how absurd your puny little brain is than talking to family about things that actually matter. Nothing. 
you know, you, when you realize you're you're discussing, you know, the the evolution, the, the cultural evolution of tattoos on a podcast and talking about how you consider tattoos cheat codes to what? <laughs> what Tattoos are a cheat code to what? To feeling badass. No, a cheat, tattoos are a cheat code. See, that's how quickly you go back into it. Here I was, like, suddenly really self-conscious, and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to explain to a relative of mine, you know, why I think tattoos are a cheat code to feeling cool. But then I once I start thinking about it again, I'm like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, so that at least means, I, I always like that. Sometimes I have this experience where, I will find something that I wrote many years ago. You know, fortunately, maybe unfortunately, we'll see how I feel about this show in 10 years. But, uh, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, you know, I don't have any, at least not many recordings of myself talking about ideas from, you know, 10 years ago. But I will occasionally find something I wrote. And, you know, more often than not, something in it will make me cringe. But usually I agree with it. I can say that, like as much as my view on certain things has changed, normally I'll think, oh, oh, this is this is much more negative or this is a much more cynical way of saying it than I would choose to now. But I do often read things and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Younger me, you know, younger me, you know, you, you made a good point. I just don't really like how you said it. But it's kind of like this, where suddenly I'm like, oh, it's really absurd, the, all the nonsense I talk about when there are so many more important things. And then I start thinking about it again, and I'm like, yeah, tattoos are a cheat code. So at least I feel, at least I still feel it. And if I still feel it, I can talk about it. I can, I can continue to say it. But I do feel like, like body mod in general, it's like, I'm going to get my ear pierced, and that's going to make me feel different right now. I'm going to get a tattoo, and that's going to make me feel different right now. And like I said, I actually do. This is, doesn't come from a place of disliking tattoos. Like, I think it's really attractive. Like, a bunch of girls I've dated and stuff have had tattoos, and I really like the tattoos on them and stuff. I find them attractive. And, you know, when I see a guy with a tattoo, more often than not, I think it's cool. As long as it's just kind of there. It just kind of blends in. And, you know, I, I think that they do look cool. So it's not that I'm anti-tattoo, but I that doesn't change the fact that they're a cheat code. I'm also not anti-Game Genie. Just because I don't think using Game Genie is how you're meant to play the game... <laughs> I don't think tattoos are, are how you're meant to play the game, you know. Uh, but in a way, you know, it's it's sort of similar. Like, for me, at least. You know, because all I can ever do is preach what I need. And I wanted a tattoo so bad when I was 15 and 16. I was a sophomore in high school. I got deep into metal. You know, I was kind of phasing out of this brief punk phase that I went through when I was, like, 15. And I, you know, I just, I really wanted to be the guy at my high school who had a bicep tattoo. Because there were some seniors, too. There were some seniors, and I was friends with a couple of them, and they had tattoos, and they were the guy in their high school with a tattoo, and that's cool. That's a good use of a cheat code, but the, the problem is you got to live with it for the rest of your life. you got to live with something you got when you were 17 or even 18, but I wanted one really bad, and I used to ask my mom. I was like, I, I want to, you know, I want to get my, I want a tattoo. Will you sign for me to get a tattoo at age 15 or 16? And, of course, she was like, wait till you're 18. As permissive as my mom was, as liberal as my mom was in terms of what she allowed me to do. She allowed me to consume, you know, as far as, like, I was always allowed to watch whatever movies. If I was into something, if I was into a style of music or what, it didn't matter what it was. She didn't investigate it deeply. She wasn't really concerned that even darker and weirder stuff was going to do anything to my brain. It did. But, uh, you know, she was very permissive with just about everything. But she said no to a tattoo. And I'm glad she did because I would have gotten a tattoo. And I might have drawn it. You know, I might have drawn a tattoo. But I'm glad that whatever I drew back then wouldn't have ended up on my body for the rest of my life. Not that I would have hated it, but it, it would have been a clear example of like, well, that represents me then. 
And that means I would have had to keep getting tattoos because I feel like that's the slippery slope of tattoos is you get one that you don't really like or that's, that you're not really going to love long term. And so then you have to keep getting more because it has to like fit who you are now. And then your tattoos become this, you know, history of who you were and who you are and that kind of thing. But, you know, tattoos are very much, you know, a cheat code body mod. Same with piercing your ear, dyeing your hair, getting a haircut. You see, it's a, it's a real, you can eventually get this way about everything. <laughs> you can eventually ruin everything, though. But it does kind of feel that way. And, and in a way, though, I'm glad my mom didn't let me get a tattoo. First, because of what I would have gotten at the time. I, I would probably have like a misfit skull on my arm. Or something. You know, who knows what it would be, would have been. Um, thank God I don't have a Misfits tattoo on my arm. Thank God. Not that I have any problem now with the Misfits. I love Danzig. I've been talking about that recently. But thank God I didn't get, like, the Crimson Skull on my arm. But I see, you know, there's there's other forms of body mod. Like, lifting weights, body mod. Gaining weight is body mod. Losing weight, body mod. Losing your hair. I'm losing my hair. It's body mod. That's what you have to say to girls. If girl, you ever meet a girl and she's like, I don't like bald guys. I don't like bald guys. I don't know what it is. I just don't like bald guys. If you ever meet a girl like that, first of all, it's totally fine. You shouldn't be offended by that. If you're a bald guy, you don't want to be in a relationship with a girl who hates bald guys unless you like that kind of masochism. Uh, but, you know, it's one of those things, though, where you got you to gotta spin it. And that's kind of what bald guys try to do when they shave their head so it's totally a skinhead, is that what they're trying to say is, I meant to do this. It's a form of what I talked about recently where, like, when you just throw a basketball across the court and it happens to make it in, but you secretly suck at basketball, in that moment, nobody knows you suck, and so you can go, meant to do that, I'm really good. That's kind of what guys do when they shave their head to a skinhead, but they're actually... They actually have male pattern baldness. What they're trying to do is meant to do that. I intended to have a totally bald baby head. And I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I have enough hair now to where, like, I can, you know, I can, I come across probably like a guy who has a mostly full head of hair, but it's actually really thin. I'm just in the early stages of, like, a comb over. Which I like. I like comb-overs, and I think comb-overs get a bad rap. But I know I'm repeating myself. That's what I should say. Instead of going like, I did I did an episode about this. Like I was talking about in another episode. Because I always say that, and I'm always self-conscious of it. What I should say is, I know I'm repeating myself. But it's worth emphasizing again. And that's... I think comb-overs are okay as a statement unto themselves, not as an attempt to hide something, because you have to be really delusional if you think a comb-over is actually convincing. But you can actually appreciate the aesthetic of a comb-over for its own sake. You can actually be like, you know, this is just the look that I'm going for. I meant to do this. Especially the ones where it's like, not one that's like a big, because you see those 1970s comb-overs where it actually looks really thick. It actually looks like they have hair on top of their head, but if you really look at it, you see that like their hairline is actually just a really long piece of hair that comes really far over from the left side, but they have enough hair still and it's being combed over so far and just the fashion of the time that sort of that hair that became popular in the 70s where it was kind of shaggy kind of long but it was combed over from very far over on the side um what am i talking about um just but just like you know that that actually kind of looks convincing it just looks like a dumb haircut it looks like a it looks like you have hair but it just looks kind of dumb it's kind of like with uh at least the classic style of hairpiece where it's not that it, it it looks like you have hair if it's a decent hairpiece, but it looks like you have a dumb haircut. Like who would who would actually comb their hair so that not that it's because if like I like a side part, I'm a fan of a good side part, but when it's like when it just looks like you, I don't even know how to explain it. It just it just looks like it's I don't know. There's no there's no like hairline. It's just like this straight line that goes across. But I what the the comb overs that I like are where it's like so wispy and there's so much separation between the hair that there's no illusion. 
you everybody knows that it's it's what's called the barcode. I, I'm not, I didn't make that up. People will joke and say he's got the barcode, and that means that you have you know, just a few strands of hair over the top of your head. I always like that look because it's not convincing anybody that you're not bald. It doesn't even come across like you're trying to convince anybody of that. What it looks like is you just want something on top of your head because, I mean, that's the tragedy of going bald. That's the thing that, you know, the only thing that really makes me sad about going bald because in the grand scheme of things, I feel like uh, it's an honor to, to, to grow old enough to go bald. And I know, I mean, I had a friend who went bald he was a couple years older than me, but he was going bald when he was a senior in high school, and he's since passed away. Um, but uh, he was going bald back then, and it was weird just because that's pretty young, 18. It happens to some people. Uh, but for, for me, in, in most cases, you know, if you grow old enough to become bald, it's an honor. It means you've lived long. It means you've lived a decent amount of time, even if it's 40. Even if it's 30, you've made it that far. There's some people who would love to go bald, who would love to live long enough. Um, but, you know, with the, for me, like the real tragedy, though, is just not having anything up there. It's not about the appearance. You know, it's not that those things don't matter at all. Yeah, it would be nice to have the option to grow a full head of hair your whole life. It would be nice to have that option. But for the most part, it's just that, you know, I like having something on my head. And someday when I am bald completely on top, I'll be wearing hats, but it's because I just like having something on my head. It's not because I'm trying to hide something. So when a guy just has like a few strands of hair that just go over the very top of his head, there's not even an illusion of a hairline or anything like that. That's not a cheat code. That's not trying to, you know, I don't even know what that is. I just know that it's nice to have something on top of your head. And that's the only sad thing about going bald. That's the only truly sad thing. Once you strip away the ego and the vanity of like, women won't like me, you know, or whatever it is. Once you get beyond that, it's just nice to have something up there. And not even for warmth, not even function. To me, there's just something nice about having something to touch. I mean, I, I like to run my fingers through my hair when nobody's looking. So the tragedy is just not having anything up there. But I guess the blessing is you can then rub your head. You, you have new options. I mean, I've never even seen the top of my head. You know, I've had a, I think I had a buzz cut one year. It was close to a buzz cut. But I've never actually seen the skin on the top of my head. And there's actually a lot of people out there who never will. There are people who are gonna who are never gonna go bald, and they're also never gonna have a reason to shave their head completely. So they will they will live their entire lives and never see the skin on the top of their head. They'll probably see other parts of their body that you don't normally look at, and I won't get gross, but they're, they'll probably, they're more likely to know what weird, you know, gross parts of their body look like than they ever will the top of their head because they're never going to be bald and they're never going to shave it. So in a weird way, you get to know more of yourself by going bald. You have greater, you have greater knowledge of what's there. Um, but, uh, you know, you can see where all this other stuff, though, where people who do try to hide it, you know, a toupee is a cheat code. A toupee is a cheat code, a tattoo is a cheat code, and guys do that. That's a new thing. Not just to get a tattoo on your head. There's the That's kind of cool. I would go for that. I would go for the tattoo on the top of your head where it just, you know, you just you get something tattooed up there that covers your whole head, and it's almost like having hair, but instead it's just a tattoo. But there's another thing people do where they get dots. There's tattooed dots. And this is, the, this is probably the lowest of all. This is probably the saddest of all is there's this new thing guys do where they get a bunch of tiny dots tattooed all over their head so that it looks like they, it looks like they chose to do it. It's an even worse version of the skinhead trying to prove that it was a choice when really he was just going bald. No, it's all fine. Whatever you want to do is fine. Whatever makes you feel better, whatever makes you feel cooler, I'm honestly cool with all of it. Anything that makes you a happier person and it doesn't take anything away from somebody else, I really do fundamentally believe in a live and let live attitude. But as part of my own live and let live attitude, I just say shit. And I kind of mean it. I, I mean a lot of it. <laughs> uh, but, uh, 
Yeah, it's just a funny thing about it. But yeah, there there are sort all these cheat codes where you want to have this sort of instantaneous feeling. I want to feel it instantly. I want that change to be known instantly. That tattoo changes me immediately. But I, I'm more into long-form body mod. I'm into getting fat gradually or getting in shape gradually. But either way, that's my kind of body mod. Emaciation, that's good body mod. Starvation, body mod. Those are my kinds. And I, there is a part of me, though, that maybe it's the rebellious spirit where I'm kind of proud that I don't have a tattoo, especially being somebody whose interests and all of that generally lends itself to having tattoos. You know, a lot of my interests, like everybody I care about has tattoos, so I'm not, and I think they look great, honestly. I, I, I sincerely do feel like people's tattoos, not every tattoo, but I feel like in general, the people I know who are tattooed look cool. But uh, there's a part of me, that rebellious spirit in me, where, yeah, like I was talking about before, it's more rebellious now to not have any tattoos. And that's not why I like not having ta any tattoos, but I just kind of like that I my body is what God gave me, for better and worse. And I have moles. I have, uh, you know, probably some weird discolored spots. You know, I, I have chest hair. That's a tattoo. That's a tattoo. I consider my chat, my my chest hair, a tattoo. Uh, in a way, and I can shave it and say body mod. If I shave my chest hair, body mod. Body mod is my new catch all. It's my new catch all. Very into this, you know, alternative body mod. And by alternative, I mean the oldest forms of body mod in the world. The first person who ever like pulled a hair out was the first person who ever participated in body mod. Cheat code. That was a cheat code, though. They pulled a hair out because they didn't like the way it looked, and they instantly felt cooler. And if I had been there, if I had seen that caveman do that, I would have pointed at them and said, cheat code, you're cheating. You might as well have a game genie plugged into your brain. The game genie of your body and brain... And we got Yelpy Dogs. Maybe he needs a walk. Maybe he needs some body mod. Maybe he needs a tattoo. How come that's not a thing? How come uh, tattooing your dog isn't a thing? Tattooing your cat. Maybe I shouldn't talk about it because someone will do it. Someone probably has done that. Some cruel. I mean, that's insanely cruel. Cruel. But, uh, you know, body mod your pets. I dress him up. I mean, he has outfits. I put outfits on him. What's next? Tattoos? So the things that I'm very serious about, I felt like I had something else I wanted to say. I mean, there was an interruption. It wasn't an interruption. It was actually a a sign from, from heaven that I need to think straight. But, uh, uh, you know, there is that... Basically, what I care about, What my, what are my values? If you cheat... To get through an RPG, you're not really playing the game. Comb-overs are a wonderful, stylistic... Comb-overs are, are a good hairstyle unto themselves, and they're not necessarily an attempt to hide your baldness. Tattoos are another cheat code. I mean, wearing clothes is a cheat code. See, I can do it about everything, and I shouldn't. I should stick to just the basics. I should turn that into a convincing argument. But everything we do is a cheat code. It's a cheat code. But you gotta you gotta know the code first. Somebody had to figure it out. And the, you know, with Game Genie, that's what always fascinated me about Game Genie is the Game Genie came with a little book and it had all the codes for the games. But how did they figure those out? Did the game developers tell them? I guess what they did is it, it somehow like affected the code of the game in such a way, but it's still, that's a pretty complex process. So someone had to figure out these other cheat codes too. So it's not that cheat codes don't take hard work unto themselves. Therefore, are they really cheat codes? Maybe not. Maybe you should just cheat. Maybe you should just lie. Do whatever you can to beat the game. That includes a comb over with tattoos. Because you don't see that look nearly often enough.
a comb over with on top of your head. You you see a lot of guys who have shaved skinheads, and I'm not, I'm not talking about neo Nazis when I say skinheads. What else do you call a bald you know a bald noggin? You know it's it's a skin head, a baby head, and you don't you see guys. It's a common approach. Is guys get tons of sleeves, full sleeves, with a little bald head. Where's the comb over? Where's the comb over? Full sleeves with a comb over. Just wait till you see me. Wait till you guys see me in 10 years when I'm completely bald. In five years when I'm completely bald on top and I have a comb over and I decide that now is the time for tattoos. My mom wouldn't let me get one at 15, so I'm going to get one at age 45. My mom told me, you need to really like think it through. You need to wait till you're 18 and really think it through before you get a tattoo. And so I decided, you know what? I'm going to wait till I'm 45. I'm going to wait till I'm 45 before I get a tattoo. And by then, I'm going to have a comb over too. And by then, you know, I think that I will be on my way to winning if I haven't already won. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children